comics. Welcome to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics. And I'm talking about comic books specifically. Uh, you are joined by your two hosts, Will Hines and Kevin Hines. I'm Kevin Hines. And I'm the other host, Will Hines. Yeah, uh, we are two improvisers slash comedians uh, who have performed at the UCB theaters. Yeah, now we are comedians at large. Yeah, that's right. Um, and uh, this is a podcast we host about comic books we read growing up that we loved then and love now and like to talk about. Uh, that's right, Kevin. Um, and this season we are doing Justice League International, which is the incarnation of Justice League that happened in the late 80s by Keith Giffen and J.M. DeMattis and other people. And uh, although at the current, we're, current issue we're doing today, issue five, they're still just called Justice League. That's right. And this is, uh, at the time, was a surprise hit, but now is looked back fondly as a, as a highlight in the, in the long history of Justice League comics. This is kind of held up as one of the uh, strongest eras, despite being a lineup of mostly nobodies. Yeah, this was a time in the Justice League when the roster of active members were mostly B-list or C-list heroes, mm-hmm. and the the issues were very light and funny. Some some of them were just straight up sitcom plots, but it worked like it worked great, and we love it. Yeah, and this uh, week we're going to be covering issue five. Last week we covered issue four, which added Booster Gold to the team, a nobody who this comic raised his profile tremendously. Yeah. Um, it's sort of like if uh, you think of Frasier having been uh, somebody in the sitcom universe that nobody cared about, and then he joined Cheers. Uh, that's what that's what Justice League did for Booster Gold. The analogy yeah. doesn't quite work because Frasier was created for Cheers. But imagine a world in which Frasier was just a, a character floating around the NBC sitcom <laughs> universe. Yeah, imagine if uh, there was a show that like took on... A character from another. I guess did Homicide do SVU did that with uh, the Homicide Richard Belzer Munch did, with Munch. Did he come from Homicide? Yeah, Munch is, was yeah. So that sort of happened with Munch. So this yeah, Booster Gold is like the Munch of DC heroes. Yeah, and um, yeah, he got added last issue. This issue that we're going over today, in a way, is not that typical of Justice League because there's way more action and drama mm-hmm. than normal. Although I still love this issue. Although there is an iconic moment in this issue that is one of the most iconic moments to happen in Justice League, I think. Yeah, this is one of the iconic comedy moments. But this first run, we're covering, we're definitely covering issues one through eight. And uh, it's mostly more balanced with uh, a lot more action than what will happen later on. The comedy is here and there. It's, it's like a comedic action show. Right. It's action first with some comedy as garnishes. Or maybe mm-hmm. side dishes. You get like a turkey drama, and then there's like some broccoli on the side. That's your comedy. It's almost like uh, Indiana Jones. When you watch those movies, they're funnier than you remember always. You like laugh a lot. Yeah. It's almost like taking a page from that, where it's just like you laugh a lot reading these comics that are still mostly at this point superhero stories. Or Silence of the Lambs, which is hilarious. Is that true? Um, I haven't watched it in a while, but in my memory, there's a lot of laugh out loud moments and people are having generally a good time. Sure. Okay. I mean, I've seen it a few times. I don't remember laughing a ton. I should, I'm, I'm a cannibal. Uh, I don't know if that, uh, so I, I might have a different perspective seems, than you. Seems unrelated. Um, Kevin, should we get into this issue? We should, Will. 
uh, issue five. Yeah. Um, the cover. Called, oh, sorry. It's called Showdown. Yeah. The cover of this issue has Guy Gardner, the third string Green Lantern, who's a member of this Justice League, being held back by Captain Marvel, uh, known to some people as Shazam, and Martian Manhunter, known to some people as Jean Johns. They're holding <laughs> him back as Guy Gardner looks furious uh, yeah. straight at the camera. He's mad at somebody. And there's text at the stop. This the, there's text at the top that says it had to happen. Batman versus Guy Gardner showdown. Uh, he notably he doesn't have his ring on, which is not it's not a big deal on the cover, but in the story that's kind of part of the moment that's being described. It's also very funny to think of Captain Marvel struggling to hold back Guy Gardner without a ring because he can like lift planes and stuff like yeah. that. Martian Manhunter and Captain Marvel are the two strongest members of the team. So they should be, like, just having two pinkies on his shoulders and, like, holding him back. Yeah, but it, it wouldn't be very cinematic. Uh, Batman, throughout the first four issues, has been keeping Guy Gardner in check. And Guy Gardner is a, is a jerk. He is full of himself. He is thinks he should be in charge. He's leaping into action. He's uh, insulting everyone, making fun of everyone. He's sexist. He's probably racist. Yeah. he's He's a pain in the butt. And the only reason he's been... Not a bigger problem is because Batman doesn't deal, doesn't let a fool get in his way. And he's been mostly keeping him in check, too. Guy Gardner has, right. has stood down when Batman challenges him. That's so. right. Batman has made him sit down, made him apologize, made him stop, all because of Batman. Um, but now, really, the, the, that, the Guy Gardner versus Batman showdown is only like a small number of pages of this story. Most of the right. story is going to involve another villain called the Gray Man that was forced, that was introduced a couple issues ago. Right. And it also deals with, does Dr. Fate come back in this issue? I believe he does. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Fate, who is a founding member of this era of the Justice League and then disappeared in the first issue, never to be seen again. Right. Uh, Dr. Fate is a mystical... Doctor Strange-like character for the Justice League universe, except even more powerful, I think, than Doctor Strange. He's basically a god, right? Who's just in human form. Yeah, he works for the gods of chaos and order, keeping balance to the universe. If that means anything to you? I mean, it sounds like a good job, and I think sure. I'd be good at it if there is an opening. Uh, there is an opening. You should send in your resume. Great. I will. Edit for, we got You really got to proofread if you're applying to work for the Lords of Order. Well... It's Lords of Order and Chaos, so who are you, maybe, who are you maybe catering half to? Maybe half and yeah. half. Um, let's go to the first page, Kevin. Sure. Uh, we're, we're, we open on a wide shot of a Vermont town, and it says, uh, Stone Ridge, a small gray town in Vermont, gray people, gray lives. And the caption is sort of in italics and, a, and sort of is not your regular typeface, which usually means this is somebody's voice that we're hearing mm-hmm. is in the caption box. So like Frank Miller would do this a lot in Daredevil comics where the caption box would be like Daredevil's thoughts and stuff. And because we had the two panel interlude with Gray Man before, this is what he talks about. He talks about everybody's gray and looks gray to him and seems gray. Um, so we know who we're dealing with if we've been paying attention. Not that we know who Gray Man is or what his deal is. We know th- this is about the Gray Man. Um, and this first page, we are zooming in on presumably that town in Stone Ridge and a car has crashed into a wall. Um, we cut to the driver and he looks injured, perhaps dead. And there's onlookers who are shocked and looking around. But, um, on the last panel, we close in on the gray man himself, who is emotion, emotionless. It sounds like I said motionless, but I meant emotionless. Right. And, um, whereas all the other onlookers are 
Our normal humans are shocked and dismayed, but did he cause this wreck or is he just remarking on it? It's hard to say. And, and Crayman looks like somebody that Keith Giffen would design. He's got a, a gray turtleneck on underneath sort of a big, is it like a green overcoat? I don't know if the coloring, uh, I don't trust my my colorblind it's, eyes. It's olive, yeah, olive green. Yeah. But uh, he looks very much like a Keith Giffen designed character, like somebody that would be in a trencher or a Justice League five years future comic book. He's got a thick head of gray hair that I think looks great. Um, oh, it's a great, great head of hair. Great head of hair. He's got big sideburns. He almost looks more like a 1970s fashion guy than a 1980s guy. I feel like you turn on TV shows in the 1970s and Columbo would go to talk to an informant and it would look like this, a dapper man in his early 50s with a great head of hair and a dashing turtleneck. Uh, it would look like the gray man, I think. Uh, the next page is a big splash of Dr. Fate hovering above the town. Uh, beams of energy flowing around him. Uh, Dr. Fate is a well-designed character, I think. Visually? Uh, yes. His gold yeah, he helmet looks, and his he cape cool. and his blue. He's, he's, he's really cool looking. And there's a title here that's different than the title on the cover that says Gray Life, Gray Dreams. Which that's more accurate to the, to the story here. Mm-hmm. Um, the captions continue. They're not in Dr. Fate's voice. We're still hearing from uh, the gray man's thoughts. But he's focused on Dr. Fate, and we find out that he hates Dr. Fate, and this is his enemy. That's right. Oh, and this is not Dr. Fate in Vermont. This is Dr. Fate at his tower, it looks like. Uh, I don't know if that's spelled out to us, but we see that on the next page. He starts to go into his the tower where he lives, which has no doors. He kind of just walks through the walls. That's right. So we see Dr. Fate sort of... That's right, but that's going to hurt its resale value. The no doors? I mean, if I'm a realtor and I can't walk in, I'm going to have trouble selling that place. Yeah, all right. It just feels like you can't have everything you want in a house. I mean, if it's a good location, I'll think about it. I'm just I saying. I think it's, it's got like infinite size inside. That's a good plus, but like, what are the schools like? I don't know. It seems like it's in the middle of the woods. The commute is rough. Sounds like a minus. Um, but Dr. Fate is half walking through that wall when his head turns and Gray Man's caption tells us he knows, and he flies off and disappears, uh, heading towards Gray Man. Yeah, there's a lot of suspense in this issue. There's there's a lot of pace and build. I kind of like it. Like sometimes comic books in the first couple pages will really like overwhelm you with tons of exposition and filling you in on the last issue and characters introducing their powers and people mm-hmm. chit chatting. And this one's kind of more cinematic. Like we're je- we don't know at all really what's going on with gray man or Dr. Fate, but we're getting a ton of atmosphere of suspense. Yeah. Uh, we get to the fourth page. We still haven't seen the, the justice league proper. Cause now we are cutting to Jack Ryder's hot seat, a pundit style cable news show, uh, starring Jack Ryder, who I know is the creeper. Yes. And I did not know. Um, but it has not really been established in the comic and he is, campaigning against the justice league's existence. He doesn't like this team. Uh, and he's doing his news report and, uh, he's just finished his daily broadcast and he's talking to his crew and everything else like that. And, uh, Jack Ryder has got a temper and he's, you know, he's like a Bill O'Reilly type where he's like, you know, really like angry a lot and hot takes that are controversial. And, um, and he's really mean to his crew. We see that. Like, we see 
Jack Ryder signing off for his show, and then like some sort of producer says, "All right, that's a wrap. Nice spot, Jackie." And Ryder's response is, "Of course it was nice, and don't call me Jackie." And the guy thinks, "Whatever you say," and thinks, "Jackass is more like it." So we're learning about this guy's character, which is not good. Yeah, uh, an assistant or somebody comes up and says, "We've uh, uh, we got something for you," and it's a report from something that's happening in Stone Ridge, Vermont, and uh, Doctor Fate has been spotted. Yep. And Jack Ryder lights up at that. Dr. Fate of the Justice League? Who called this in? Um, what do you think of the look of the guy uh, who's dropping off, the sort of informant? He's supposed to be young. He's got a late night with David Letterman's sweatshirt on. Yeah. Got uh, little gap teeth. His eyebrows almost come together. Yeah, he's I got, like him. He's got did, Steve Ditko-level crazy hair, I would say. Like, the texture is kind of intense. Yeah, there's a lot going on. He's not a handsome man. And I dig him. And Jack Ryder gives Adam him a hundred. Adam to the Justice League, I say. Yeah, put him in immediately. Um, the informant. He doesn't need powers. As long as he's got a personality. Uh, Jack Ryder gives him a hundred bucks for his information. And in, in, in a part of that price is him keeping his mouth shut. And then Jack goes to his office and he calls somebody. He's trying to get a camera crew to go up to Stone Ridge. And he reveals his intentions in this conversation. I'm just going to nail the Justice League's hide to the wall. That's all. So he's up to something. That's right. Um, I don't know if that comes to anything. Um, well, in this issue, it's advanced a little bit at the end. Okay. Um, but then we cut away from that and we cut back to the gray man. Yeah, still gray- no, no visit with the Justice League proper. Don't worry, fans. That this don't. I assure you, this is a Justice League comic. <laughs> Action's coming, and boy, howdy, will there be punches. But first, back to a conversation between the Gray Man and (laughs) Dr. Fate. First, settle in for some pacing. (laughs) Uh, The Gray Man is talking to Dr. Fate, and he is uh, starts yelling at him. He gets really upset. He starts off real chill. Like, the first shot of him, he's got his hands in his pockets. He's looking real relaxed. He's also got, like, Uh, a Blade Runner feel, like he would uh, be hunting replicants. Yeah, this is like, yeah, in the shadows of some kind of gothic building. Uh, And he's mad at Dr. Fate, and he warns him, and he kind of says, like, you know, here we are in this old theater that was built back in the 40s. That sounds old, but it's new to me. You know, I've been around hundreds of years, never sleeping, and then he starts to get mad, and it's all your fault. Uh, But I'm not your slave anymore. I'm in control. And uh, Dr. Fate, we reveal to see that Dr. Fate is there listening to him. And uh, we're in the middle of some kind of argument here. Yeah, it looks like Dr. Fate is trapped. He's in some sort of stasis uh, field. Uh, like a gray bubble is around him. Uh, and so Dr. the very Fate powerful Dr. Fate is, is under the control of the gray man. And then the next two pages, we kind of do a flashback where we learn the gray or Really, it's the next two and a half. Um, a flashback to learn the gray man's sort of history. And it's one of those like quasi-mystical... Doctor Strange slash Sandman things, magic, where it's like, there's not a lot of detail. It's kind of just broadly speaking, curses and power and corruption. It's a cool idea. I don't know if it's really played out well in these two pages, but it's basically about a guy who wanted to, knew about the existence of the, the gods of the Lords of Order and Chaos and wanted to meet them and steal some of their power, maybe. Right. Uh, and was able to do that. He's this human from hundreds and hundreds of years ago and is able to take himself 
to be in front of the lords of order, which is like he's, this we see him doing like a little orb. ritual where there's like candles on a circle and he's in the middle of it conducting some sort of spell. And then he's yeah transported to be in front of the lords of order. But they punish him. Yes. Uh, In an instant, my understanding of creation grew 10,000 fold. In an instant, my life ended. For the lords of order looked upon me with displeasure. I dared, they said, to reach too far. And for my daring, for my hubris, I would be punished. This is kind of like um, sort of an H.P. Lovecraft situation where like he's unveiled the knowledge of some old entity and it's too much for his little human brain and he has to suffer some punishment kind of-ish. It's not quite H.P. Yeah, Lovecraft because there's not a lot of tentacles and eyes, but it's it is like <laughs> knowledge too great for your human brain kind of thing. Yeah, and his job is to collect dream essence, which I don't know what that means, but there's there's little residues of dream essence around the world, and Gray Man goes around collecting it for the Lords of yeah, Order. This is where it gets complicated fast. For his punishment, he is put into the body that we see him now, his Gray Man body. But that body is duplicated into lots of little slave bodies, and he himself is trapped in some land and can only control these bodies from a distance, and they are collecting dream essences, whatever that means. But he is trapped, so he hates this. And so, he explains, he started siphoning off some dream energy for himself until he had enough to break free with enormous power, which is where we're at now, right? That's right, yes. Uh, And then for some reason, he went to Vermont. And he went to Stone Ridge, Vermont. I mean, they've got, got very relaxed tax laws is probably part of the reason. Yeah, they, it's just like a libertarian area where they're not going to get into his business too much. But uh, uh, and he's going to turn everybody into gray men. He's going to steal their ability to dream. Um, he's going to make everyone these sort of immortal gray man clones uh, for, uh, so I guess they could collect more dream essence, so he'll be more yeah, powerful. The, the, it doesn't quite make sense if you zoom in on it too much. Like he has been a prisoner, but one with some power, he has stolen more power. And with that, he's going to punish everybody to turn them into the shitty version of himself while keeping a good amount of power for himself. I, I don't know. The dude's mad. <laughs> the dude's mad and he's got some kind of gray power. 10, uh, so that's 11 pages of this comic. And now we cut to the Justice League. And if at uh, this point you said to me, this is going to be one of the most famous issues of the Justice League, I wouldn't believe you, I don't think. Yeah, because they're barely in it. Yeah. Um, I, I did really enjoy that suspense of those first 11 pages. Like, I'm really intrigued and I dig it, but it's not very typical of the series. Um, so when we cut back to Justice League, we hear Guy Gardner saying, I've had it. And it's like a meeting where most of the members are there at the headquarters. Uh, and Guy Gardner is getting into it with Batman. Yes. Uh, uh, Mr. Miracle sort of squirmish in the background. Booster Gold's watching. He's a new kid. He's sort of watching stunned. Uh, and Guy Gardner is just lashing into Batman. Do you hear what I just said, Bats? I heard you, Guy. Well, don't you think it's time you wised up and turned command of this team over to me? Batman's response is, I'd sooner turn it over to Captain Marvel. Who is right there. And he goes, yeah. hey. <laughs> I don't know why he insulted Captain Marvel. Yeah, Captain Marvel is one of the most powerful people in the universe um, and, a, and a good person. I guess he's a 15-year-old. but Yes. Also, what, it's Guy's anger is funny. Like, he's mad that he's just not the leader. That's what's making him so angry. Yeah, he doesn't like anyone um, stepping on his feet. Guy should be able to do what he wants when he wants. Batman thinks he's better than Guy, and he is. Uh, and Guy doesn't like that. 
Uh, and he tells Batman, I think, uh, I think it's time I proved once and for all who's top dog around here. And Batman's response is a very apt metaphor. This isn't a kennel guy, so stop acting like a mongrel. It's very literate, very literate and uh, metaphorically consistent put down. Yeah. Guy Gardner responds, that does it. That does it. And he takes off his ring and hands it to the Blue Beetle. Which seems like you're going to get beat without that ring. Like, he's estimating his human abilities a lot. I mean, Batman is... He's Batman. A fighting machine. Yeah. And Guy Gardner, hey, Guy Gardner's in shape. I'm not going to take it away from Guy Gardner. But uh, the ring is the main reason that Guy Gardner uh, is powerful. But I think he thinks... I don't, I'm proving you I don't even need this ring to take you down. I don't need, I'll, we're on equal level now. We're both just men. Um, nobody else is that worried about Guy Gardner. Like he's handing his ring to Blue Beetle, who is just could care less. Blue Beetle tosses it over his shoulder. This <laughs> is the most powerful weapon in the universe. Yeah. And Blue Beetle tosses it over his shoulder. Yeah. And so Guy Gardner, without his ring, is looking at Batman. Let me at him. Let me at him. And um, Captain Marvel. Makes a plea for Batman to not fight, don't sink to his level, and Batman kind of disrespects Captain Marvel here. Right. I know what I'm doing here, Marvel, and maybe when you've had my years of experience, you will too. Till then, keep out of this. And Captain Marvel doesn't like it. He kind of storms off. He's a little mad, grumbling. Yep. Uh, Meanwhile, Batman turns back to, to Guy Gardner. Now, Guy, was there something you wanted to do to me? You mean after I break your arms and legs? Good accent. (laughs) <laughs> Batman goes, uh, all bark and no bite. Oh, I bite all right. Let me hear that with an I accent. Let me bite. hear that with an accent. Ooh, I bite all right. <laughs> there I bite. And a little flying airplane on my side. That's how, you know, that's how you know this podcast is for real. And I've got a leaf blower outside. We've got life happening around us, Will. Uh, Guy Gardner responds, I bite. Yep. We turn to the next page, and it's a, clo- uh, it's a close-up of Batman's fist hitting Guy Gardner in the face with a huge bonk sound effect. And the next panel, he is out cold on the yeah. floor. Guy is on the ground. Mr. Miracle is thinking to himself, I'll say this for Batman. He's efficient. Blue Beetle is howling with laughter. One punch, one punch. In walks Martian Manhunter and Black Canary. Yeah, Martian Manhunter, good afternoon, everyone. Hope we haven't. Is that Guy on the floor? And Black Canary goes, what happened to him? Is he dead? No, we couldn't be that lucky. And that is sort of a, almost like a running gag piece of dialogue that'll happen a lot in Justice League. We couldn't be that lucky. Yeah. Generally about Guy Gardner. Um, they want to know what happened. Blue Beetle goes, Batman belted him. And Black Canary goes, Batman belted him? And she's uh, so sad that uh, she missed it. Yeah, and Blue Beetle's response says, just one punch. He's so excited. It was so quick. He's wiping tears out of his eye. He's like reaching under his little eyepiece and wiping a tear out of his eye at the bottom of the page. It's kind of a fun drawing. Martian Manhunter smirking in the background. Sorry, we're late, Batman. But then thinks to himself, but not as sorry as Black Canary is. Guy Gardner's been hitting on Black Canary and making sexist comments for the last four issues. And Canary just goes, Batman belted him and I missed it? Oh, God, I'm so depressed. So the rest of the team, minus Guy Gardner, starts to gather up for their meeting. Uh, and this is when it's like most like our the Justice League we know. Like there's all kinds of little, like Canary just keeps thinking, I missed it, I missed it, I missed it. As long, you know, Batman's like, I want to call this meeting to order. Beatles like, as long as Guy's out cold, we'll have all the order we need. Uh, but then you know, Oberon walks up to Batman with a weird message and says, the monitor screen would like to have a word with you. It says it's very important. And Batman responds, 
Oh, all right, I'll be right. What did you say? <laughs> Little double take from Batman. Yeah, very slapsticky. And then Oberon repeats himself. I'm not kidding. The monitor screen wants to talk to you, and it's being very insistent. Batman's, you know, what's like, what's this about? Oberon, if this is some carnival gag, I swear. But then we cut to the monitor screen, and it has a mouth yep. that is protruding outwards from the screen, and it's talking. And it's that's, that's right. some trippy stuff, I'll say. There's some sort of yellow smoke essence coming off its lips. And Batman recognizes the mouth as belonging to Dr. Fate. I guess he's familiar with the mouths of all or the of voice. Them. Maybe the voice. And then um, I guess Dr. Fate in the next, in between the second to last panel, the last panel explains everything we've learned about the gray man and tells them to come to Stone Ridge, Vermont. And uh, so now we kind of have our, we know our, you know, halfway through the issue, we, our heroes have been alerted to our villain. Hey, it's us again, your hosts, Kevin and Will Hines, and we want to hear from you. That's right. You can email us at screwitspidey at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at screwitcomics. We also have an Instagram account where we post images from the comics that we talk about, and that's screwitcomics on Instagram. That's three different ways to connect with us. Tell us your thoughts about the issues we're talking about, or the format of the show, or our life choices that have led us to this point. Reach out and tell us anything, honestly, and we might talk about it on a future episode of this podcast. Thanks for listening to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics from Campfire Media. That's right. Uh, the team gets ready to do this. Um, they're sort of nervous. Uh, they run some sort of um, computer examination of the gray man's multiplication and realize they've got about 52 hours left before the world is doomed. It's one of those like uses of the computer that I don't think is realistic where like in seconds they compute a data model to figure out what will happen if this villain gets his way. Mm-hmm. And with computer like accuracy, Mr. Miracle says, yeah, in 52 hours, the whole world will be gray. Batman's like 52 hours to save the world. But I'm thinking actually if it's in 26 hours, half the world will be gray. Like you have no time. I mean, in an hour. Pa- yeah, sure. That's, you know, you're, you're thinking like somebody who's living in a pandemic. Yeah. Batman hasn't gone through that. Okay. I guess so. He thinks he has 52 uh, total hours to save everybody. And Manhunter um, mentions we've done it before on a tighter schedule to which booster gold says you have. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the, the, comic is pretty good about not missing opportunities for little fun moments like that yeah batman gives an order to captain marvel who is still mad he responds don't you mean captain Whitebread?" Uh, and he wants him to fly ahead and sort of contain the situation and captain marvel is still mad right wouldn't want me to screw anything up or says don't take action unless it's absolutely necessary is what batman says right and that captain marvel's response is right wouldn't want me to screw anything up not at least not till i've had years of experience so he's really upset. Yeah, and Batman notices that. Great, I finally got Guy in line, and now he's acting up. And Beetle's like, Beetle, it's all your fault. Yeah, Beetle knows what's going on. Or it's your own fault. Yeah, he's like, you're a little short on courtesy sometimes, Batman. Frankly, you treated Marvel like a bathroom mat. Beetle. Beetle yes. goes, yes. Get the bug ready for takeoff now. Batman doesn't like people talking back to him. Batman is not being a great leader here. He's being mean to everyone except for like Martian Manhunter. Yeah, I mean, Gardner had it coming. Yes. Challenged him, took off his ring, directly provoked him for a fight. But everyone else has been like members in good standing. 
Yeah. Cap Marvel's flying over there and he's thinking to himself, maybe I, I, I don't, I'm not a good fit for this Justice League. Uh, it wouldn't be an issue of Justice League if a member doesn't think about quitting. Uh, I mean, he does quit before this, uh, I think issue seven or eight, he'll quit. Oh, okay. Uh, Captain Marvel gets to Stone Ridge. We Sorry see for the spoiler. That's okay. Uh, the ish, this comic came out in 1988, so I think mm-hmm. it's all right. Um, we, he gets to Stone Ridge, Vermont, and there is a van labeled Jack Ryder's Hot Seat. So Jack Ryder uh, and his crew have arrived. That's right. Um, Captain Marvel's investigating. There's an unconscious body on the ground, presumably one of Jack Ryder's crew, and Captain Marvel lifts up his head, and this dude looks totally out of it and nuts. It looks insane. Yeah. And Captain Marvel decides to fly him somewhere for help, a hospital, I assume. My name's Captain Marvel, and I may be new at this game, but I'm not going to let you die. You love moments like that, Kevin. I mean, shouldn't everybody? The hero saving somebody in the moments I love? I'm not into it. (laughs) All right, interesting. Um, The uh, next page shows Blue Beetle's creepy but cool bug flying machine with everybody in it. This is what Night Owl's owl ship was sort of based on in Watchmen. Yeah, no seats. You just kind of stand around. It's not really safe. Uh, yeah, there's no seatbelts or anything. But inside, uh, the Justice League is all standing. Is o- Does Oberon come with them, or is he kind of like Jarvis? He just hang around the headquarters? He stays behind and watches the monitor, I believe. What a bum job. Um, so they're all... This is one of the... this. The second panel of this page is very Justice League. Like, everybody kind of has a moment. Not everybody, but we have lots of little character moments. Beetle is like, just between you and me, Mr. M, Dr. F- which he's talking to Martian Manhunter, Doc Fate Mr. gives Miracle. me the... Oh, Mr. Miracle. Uh, Doc Fate gives me the miracle. Uh, gives me the willies. <laughs> gives me the miracles. I guess that'd be pretty funny if you did. <laughs> Dr. Fate gives me the miracles. <laughs> um, Booster Gold is thinking, nice ship. Wonder how much it cost. And Mr. Miracle responds to Blue Beetle. I think he's supposed to. Like, yeah, he's supposed to, Dr. Fate's supposed to give you the willies. Manhunter's conferring with Batman. I hope Marvel's all right. Batman's like, if he's not, it's his own fault. Manhunter says, you're too hard on a Batman. Batman's like, I'm hard on everyone. Black Canary, good point. Yeah, and he is. He's too hard on everybody. Um, uh, the, the Justice League is kind of, it's kind of fun how they, they don't take it from Batman. Everybody pushes back to some degree. I mean, they sh- they're all heroes uh, of relative experiences. They're not like they're... They weren't hired by Batman. Right. So, uh, yeah, they have enough confidence and success to stand up to him. But now they've arrived at Stone Ridge. They're landing the bug carefully. They get out. Um, Manhunter immediately starts flying, which looks rad. Yeah. Batman, I feel a presence, strange, disturbed. The Gray Man? I don't think so. Yeah, so Martian Manhunter detects somebody. In the next page, we find out he detects the Creeper. Which is Jack Ryder, right? Yes. I meant that we don't really find out. Jack Ryder talks about nailing the Justice League. Yeah. That doesn't really ever play out, I don't think. No, but we do see that Jack Ryder is here in his Creeper form. Yes, we see that. And what are Creeper's powers? Um, I don't think he really... I mean, I think he's a little stronger. He heals fast. Okay. I, he doesn't have much in the way of powers. Um, in the Steve Ditko comics, he basically has two experimental devices embedded in his body one that lets him transform between the creeper and jack rider so between this halloween costume 
and the Jack Ryder normal self, and the other one lets him heal very fast. Okay. He sort of, um, he sort of looks Spider-Man-y sort of, here. He's, yeah, he sort of has like agility and strength. Um, and then by this point, and maybe it's Keith Giffen, maybe it's other writers around this time, there's some split to where, like this used to be just an act that Jack Ryder like laughed a lot and acted like a maniac to scare criminals. But yeah. it seems more true now in the current DC Comics here on that when he becomes a creeper, he is a little unhinged. Uh, so he's kind of like a, is he a good guy or a bad guy? He is a good guy, but nobody thinks so in the original comics because he looks like this. Okay. In the Batman animated series, they sort of tied his origin into the Jokers. and He was like... He looks kind of Jokerish. Yeah. They sort of had like the Joker toxin had some weird effect on him and he didn't totally uh, uh, get Jokerized, but he became this instead. Um, so the creeper is hanging from a tree. He's holding a paint bucket that says gloss enamel. And I don't know what that's for. Yeah, either do I. But um, the Justice League is confronting Creeper, and Batman recognizes him. The Creeper. Yes, what and, it, and Creeper was created by Steve Ditko and then sort of vanished for a while. And I think had like a Brave, it was in Brave and the Bold, which is the Batman team-up book for a couple issues. That was sort of his comeback. So Batman does know the Creeper, but he is not a well-known DC character within the universe because he mostly was just in these Steve Ditko books for a while. So uh, Batman keeps talking to the Creeper. What are you doing here? Oh, creeping around. I think that's pretty funny. <laughs> um, and uh, he, yeah. you know, he's being very coy. He won't say what he's doing. Um, and Batman insists, what are you doing here? I saw your friend, you know, Captain Marvelous. Marvel, where is he? He went into town. Very bad move. He doesn't have the right mindset. We don't know what he means by that, but it sounds ominous. Yeah, it sounds like somehow the Creeper is immune by becoming the Creeper. Um, immune to the gray, the gray power. Yes. Batman um, has no patience for the creeper, but he doesn't really have patience for Blue Beetle or Captain Marvel, so that's not a big surprise. Creeper is way more annoying. Creeper hops away up onto a cliff, uh, and he basically is gesturing the Justice League to take a look at the town. Take a good yeah. look, boys and girls. Welcome to Stone Ridge. And then we get a view of the town. The last page is us to the top of the cliff looking at the town. And it's like become otherworldly, like yeah. weirdly, like as if it's all the buildings are made out of bones and it looks like insect hives. Yeah. Almost like, um, us undersea, like crab creatures and things like that, like horseshoe crabs and stuff. Yeah. Like coral and it, it's really totally disturbed. Look, although there's still power lines kind of. Yeah. Uh, and the creeper says, it's my kind of town, and then laughs. Jokerish. And, and that's the issue ending, and we don't really know what's up. Yeah, I love the creeper. <laughs> you do? Why do you love the creeper so much? I, I, I don't know. I, I liked him, I think, prior to me knowing he was Steve Ditko's uh, creation, sort of like Blue Beetle. There's something about him that I like. Um, I like his sort of unhingedness that he's sort of, he is a good guy, but he's a good guy in a way that is not reliable or a good team. I like the guys who aren't good team players. Not like Wolverine and Batman where they sort of storm off and do their own thing. But like they're literally just not built to be team players. But then in situations like this, they're very useful to have around. Yeah, so that's what you like about the Creeper. Well, he's visually really distinctive and he looks kind of fun. I mean, you know, Ditko was good. He made like interesting characters. Yeah. Even Hawk and Dove look interesting, though their powers uh, sort of annoy me. Um, 
Well, Ditko's character design is always great. Like I think yes. visually, he's it's just oh, his stuff looks interesting and not cliche and good. I mean, one of his best contributions to the mythos of Spider-Man is the Spider-Man costume. Like it's yeah, just so I mean, cool. The Spider-Man costume, the Doctor Strange costume is very good. Blue Beetle looks great. The Question looks great. Creeper looks great. All the Spider-Man villains, even if they're kind of silly looking, they look distinctive and compelling. I've been getting my my son to watch Spectacular Spider-Man cartoons, which is, uh, in my mind, the best Spider-Man cartoons. Okay. And uh, he's really into all the villains, oh, tremendously yeah. so. Nice. And he's been flipping through my uh, epic collection of the first, whatever, 15 issues of Amazing Spider-Man. He loves to flip through and find the villains throughout there, and he loves them so much. Uh, and he knows them very well, and the cartoon Electro looks very different. And he talks about that all the time to me. Oh. He's like, this is the book Electro, and the ta- on your tablet, he looks different. Yeah, that's fun. Um, and he loves he loves Mysterio. Oh, he loves Molten Man. Molten Man looks cool. Yeah, he loves these he loves these designs. Interesting. It's fun. Um, yeah, these guys who are like the top of their the top artists in the field, like they're that for a reason. They have a good instinct over what grabs the eye. Yeah. Imagine, I just wish Ditko had done any title longer. And been just willing to work with people like... <laughs> a like, little bit. You know, we know the story of Frank Miller calling up Steve Ditko in the late 80s and wanting to do a, Doctor, a Mr. A reboot. And Miller just said he wanted to write the dialogue, like he would let Ditko do everything else. That could have been great. Uh, it's a shame. It's a shame. Yeah. Um, Kevin, what you think of this... Oh, sorry. What'd you think of this issue overall, Will? Uh, I loved it. I mean, it's not typical. There's less comedy than usual, but I, the suspense is good. I'm into that gray man, mythical Lords of Order stuff, even though it's kind of vague and confusing. There's a good sense of drama and pace. I mean, it's a good it's a good issue. What's your favorite part, not counting the punch? My favorite part is probably the reveal at the end. Just the town looks so creepy and scary that I can't wait to read the next issue. Like, it's gener- it's really genuinely a cliffhanger that that makes me want more how about Um, you i probably like this moment on the bug when everyone is sort of confronting batman about being too hard uh i guess it's a couple moments the two moments where batman's confronted for being too hard on captain marvel i like batman getting i like batman not being perfect where it's like he's like i think batman thinks uh, this tough love is what these heroes need and it's probably not what captain marvel needs yeah, he doesn't deserve it. He's been, like, a good soldier. Yeah, but the best moment of the comic is the punch and everything around it, right? That's right. The punch is the best moment. The punch, Blue Beetle's reaction, and Black Canary's reaction, those three pieces are iconic. Yeah, like, B- Beetle says one punch for several issues now. He'll just be like, one punch. Yeah. We still haven't gotten a boahaha, right? Is that right? I think that's right. Um, that is also sort of, this is often referred to as the Boahaha era of Justice League. Um, because after Keith Giffen leads, leaves and it stays like these titles for a while, they would refer to like it being the Boahaha era before that. Because they just, that's what they do when they laugh at each other. Uh, but I don't think that kicks in until issue eight. We'll see if it pops up sooner though. Did you say, what do you think of this issue overall? I love it. Uh, I, th- I like the ones where there's a little... I I love some of the ones that are just kind of sitcom plots, but I like my favorite ones tend to be the ones that have like a real superhero thing that feels like a legit threat. Um, But you have like the humorous Justice League kind of dealing with it. 
kind yeah. of flipping between being comedic and serious back and forth. Yeah. I like seeing why these guys are a good Justice League. Right. Though I'm, I'm not 100% sure they are a good Justice League. The way this resolves, I don't know, so I know if they needed to be there. <laughs> right, right. Uh, it's character first, not plot in this era. Yes. Um, should we get to some email? Yeah, we got a couple emails. Well, we've got a few. Whoops, I just archived it. Um, well, no more email. <laughs> undone. Um, first, yeah, I'll, just, I'll just say, if you want to write us email, we'll take email at screwitspidey at gmail.com. That's left over from our first season. We're still using it. Screwitspidey at gmail. We also have a Twitter account, screwitcomics. You can tweet at us there. And we have an Instagram account, screwitcomics, where Kevin will be putting screenshots of the stuff we're talking about. So you can reach us in all those ways. Yeah. Uh, our first email is from Jonathan Denny. He's resp- he's basically answering a question another writer, uh, another emailer asked us. Uh, somebody emailed us a while ago and asked if Happy Hogan had been belted by Gamma Rays, would he become the Hulk Hogan? <laughs> uh, and we discussed that humorously. Uh, but Jonathan Denny has the real answer, uh, or a, a sort of a tangent to that answer. Uh, I wanted to point out that at an early point in the solo Iron Man series, Happy Hogan either wore the Iron Man armor or was injured... As a bystander, uh, Tony Stark attempted to use some contraption on him to expedite his healing. An enumerator ray, maybe? When he was hit by the rays, he became a mindless monster called the Freak. So he had been belted by some rays. Later on in the series, maybe around issue 65 or so, another Tony Stark pal, Eddie March, who I've never heard of, was injured in a battle, and again Tony used the enumerator ray, also turning poor Eddie March into the freak. <laughs> I guess the point I'm trying to make is if you're injured because of a battle Iron Man is fighting, don't let Tony Stark play doctor on you to make you better. <laughs> so that's very fun. That's really fun. And that was Jonathan Demi, the director of Stop Making Sense and Silence of the Lambs. And, yeah, uh, unfortunately to it was mob. Jonathan Denny. Yeah, not unfortunately. We're, Jonathan, we'd love to no. have your email. But I'd much rather hear from Jonathan Demi. <laughs> We, if Jonathan Demi, if you're listening, send us an email at screwedspidey at gmail. But only if you're going to recap an old issue of Iron Man. Um, anything else? We got one other one uh, that we just got re- pretty recently. Uh, Joe Wartman uh, emailed, and he's been reading. He's been listening, and he won't hear this for a long time. He's knee deep in the Spider Man season. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so uh, unless he skips around, he's not going to hear this for a while. He's just around the Master Planner saga, which he says we hyped since the very beginning, which is 100% true. 100% true. Um, And he asked a question that I think it's more directed towards me. What do you do with all the comics that you've purchased throughout the years? How do you decide what to save and what to get rid of? Uh, What are your answers, Will? I don't have enough to worry about. Yeah. I got rid Uh, of, I I mean, the ones I had as a kid, I got rid of at some point in my 20s. I gave some to Kevin, maybe all of them. Maybe most of them, yeah. I kept a very small handful. I have one comic book box worth of comics that I keep for sentimental reasons. Some Frank Miller Daredevils, some Love and Rockets, my Amazing Spider-Man issue 33, and a couple others. But there, there's not that many is how I handle yeah. it. Yeah. I have a handful that I uh, that I sort of set aside that I think are ones you'd want to keep as well. Maybe like four or five issues. Um, like an old Fantastic Four issue that's sort of battered as well. Um yeah, I, it's hard to decide. I try not to have two copies of any. If I have a trade paperback, I try to get rid of these single issues. For a while, I was selling them on eBay as ARCs, but I found that more time-consuming than profitable. 
Uh, and then at one point I took like four or five long boxes and just sold them on Craigslist as is. And I basically just listed most of the comics that were in those five boxes and someone came and bought them, I think for a few hundred dollars. Uh, and he was basically, he wanted maybe a 10th of what I was giving him, but I was like, yeah. it's all or nothing. And he took them all. Um, but I, that, then I have a new problem where it's like, I have too many trade paperbacks. Right. And my, for a long time, my goal was I only wanted to keep trades that I thought I would read at least, a, I tried to only buy things that I thought I would read three or four times. If I thought I was only going to read it once, it wasn't worth getting it all. Um, and then when I get it, that's sort of also my question is like, do I think I would reread this? If right. I don't think I want to read it again, I tend to just take it to a thrift store because I don't know how much resale value trade paperbacks have. Um, uh, I might not always reread stuff, but for a long time I did reread all my favorite stuff over and over again. Now that I have a child, I don't get that chance. Like I'm rereading these Justice League trades only because we're doing this podcast. Right. Um, uh, so I have a lot that I probably don't need. And now I'm trying to switch things into digital form. Like some things I'm getting digitally and I, if I don't love, love, love them, I'm happy to have them digitally and just read them on my iPad. Some I like just love. They mean so much to me that I keep them in paper too. Uh, I used to keep all my trade paperbacks, but now once every three years, I'll do a big purge where I'll get rid of everything that's not a gift and that I haven't read in the past three years. I'm like, if I haven't looked at it and it wasn't a gift, I just give them away. I'm getting the Fantagraphics hardcovers of all the Carl Barks, uh, Donald Duck and Uncle Scrooge comics. Yeah. And uh, I don't have time to read those and keep up with them, but I don't think I'll ever get rid of those. So there's things like that that I just have and I just... I have all the Fantagraphics, Charles Schultz, the Peanuts ones. I have all of those. Yeah. It's kind of fun. So it's it's tough. I mean, I have a store. I live in a house and I still have a storage space with boxes in it uh, because I just don't have room just to have 20 boxes sitting somewhere. Um, I'd love to get rid of like, if I ever had time to go through and kind of just label what's in each box, I would get rid of, I think, two thirds of my comic book boxes. Yeah. But it's time. I don't have the time to do that. Yeah. Good question. Yes, thank you for writing in. Uh, and those are the two emails we got. We've gotten a few more, but not necessarily with things to answer. Okay, well, if you have anything you'd want to... We'd love to hear your opinions on comic books, certainly on Justice League, but any comic books that you're reading, any comic book-related questions, comic book storage questions, questions related to the good time comedy Silence of the Lambs, especially if you're director Jonathan Demme, who directed it. Oh, wow, that is an interesting... Coincidence, yeah. Yeah. And um, I guess that's it. Yeah, guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Justice League International uh, podcast that we're doing. We'll be back next week for the continuation of the Gray Man story in issue six. Uh, good job podcasting, Kevin. It was a gray job. Gray job with no feeling, no emotion, just dead. 400. All right, I'll see you guys later. Bye. Bye, everyone. Hey, it's Mia. Hey, it's Allie. And we host the Rom-Com Review Podcast, P.S. I Love Rom-Com. Each week, we'll have incredible guests come and discuss a new rom-com, grand gestures, meet-cutes, and of course, that elusive chemistry. Mia, what are you doing holding that giant boombox over your head? I'm hoping to win over listeners with this grand gesture. Take us back! Find a new episode every week and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. Brought to you by Campfire Media. Wow, you're uh, still holding that boombox. Yeah, I've got great upper body strength. Thanks, CrossFit. Yes.
fire. <laughs>